If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Psalm 126? The Psalms are going to be right in the middle of your Bible. So open to the middle and go to the left, go to the right, a few, and you will find the Psalms. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Take that actually home as a gift from us to you. It's something we use a lot and think it's a great addition to your library, even if you're not so sure about what exactly it is. So grab one of those. You could also look it up on your phone, Psalm 126, as we continue our summer of Psalms. And um, I want to let you in behind the curtain so you can see how we plan sermon series here at Sedaris. And you might not have noticed this yet, but we've actually been walking through an acronym that helps us learn how to pray. Because we've said the Psalms help us to pray. They're like the master teacher. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to live. And so we've actually been walking letter by letter through this acronym. And the acronym is AFTER. And it's actually a little acronym that I made up to teach my son, Grayson, who is two years old, how to pray. And so I thought, why don't we just teach everyone to pray like I teach Grayson? And I actually use this myself. We say, after the day, we pray. Now, that doesn't mean you only pray at the end of the day, but it's helpful, it's clever. Thank you. A, anybody have a guess? Remember what our very first psalm was? Psalm 19? Adoration. The heavens declare the glory of God. For Grayson, I call it awesomeness. Both work. How did you see the awesomeness of God today? I saw it in the sky, Dad. He's not quite there yet, but this is what he'll say one day. I saw it in the sky, Dad. It's unreal. F stands for forgiveness. We ask God to forgive. Ryan talked about confession. We confess our sin to the Lord, and he is faithful to forgive. T stands for thankfulness. Thank you, God. Thank you for this community. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for your word. Thank you for my job. Thank you. Anybody know what E stands for? Last week I preached on E. This one might be tricky. E is everybody else. We don't just pray about ourselves. We pray for everyone else, including our enemies. Last week was where my heart was stirred when I thought about praying for everyone else. My enemies came to mind. And we saw a very interesting depiction of how we pray for our enemies. If you weren't here last week, you could go listen to that very interesting, challenging psalm. But we pray for everyone else. And then, finally, our. We make our requests known to God. We make petitions in ways that we want God to act in our lives. That's what we're going to look at this week. What does it look like to make a request? And, and I hope at the end of tonight, these are some of the questions that we might consider together. Some of the things that hopefully we'll, we'll at least have the beginnings of answers to. When should we make requests, petitions to God? Should we only do that when we're at the bottom of the barrel? Or is it okay to make requests even when we're in a season of blessing? What should we request? And how should we request it? What should we do after we ask? What should we do after a request is fulfilled? So we'll look at all those questions and, and hopefully come 
a little bit closer to understanding why and how we ask God for things. So if you would, let's just start by praying together. God, you are awesome. The heavens declare your glory. Even on a cloudy day, God, we see your creation. We see your fingerprints everywhere. We adore you, Father God. God, we ask that you would clear our hearts through the power of Jesus, through his blood. We ask for forgiveness from our sin, the ways that we fell short this week of the mark that you've set for us as image bearers. We ask for forgiveness. God, we thank you for all the ways that you've been with us this week, for our daily bread that you've given to us, for this community, for this place to worship. We thank you. And God, we pray for those around the world who are suffering, those who do not have food to eat, those who do not have a place to lay their head. We pray for refugees. God, that you'd bring reconciliation to their nations and give them homes, whether that's here or elsewhere. God, we pray for Christians who are being persecuted that don't have a place to worship, that have to worship in secret. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for Charlottesville. We pray for the tension and the anger and the hatred that is all around us in these times. God, we pray for our politicians that they would have wisdom, humility, and seek justice. And God, we ask that you speak to us right now, that you help us become everything that you want us to be, that you transform us into the image of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So why can we make requests to God? Why can we call upon his name and ask him to do things for us? Before we read the psalm, I just want to tell you why we can do this. So I'm going to read a passage from Jeremiah 31, verse 9. It says this, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For, this is why, I am a father to Israel. This is actually a prediction of what we'll see in this psalm. And the reason God says that we can make our pleas to Him is because He is our Father. This is the way He sees Himself in relationship to us. Now, Jesus said the same thing. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father, who is in heaven. Philippians 4.6 says this, Let your requests be made known to God, the Father. And then Jesus teaches us to make our requests known and to expect that they will be fulfilled because God is as good as an earthly father, but even better. Do you remember when Jesus said this? He said, How much more will your Father in heaven want to give you good gifts if even earthly fathers who are sinful and fallen and selfish for the most part want to give good gifts to their kids how much more will your father who is in heaven want to give you a good gift so here's how the logic goes earthly fathers aren't always great and some of you might have a bad image of your father but you kind of know that they're not so great because you kind of know what a father should be but most of us, it's sort of a mixed bag. 
Our earthly fathers do a good job sometimes of being fathers and sometimes not so good. But even these imperfect, sinful fathers, they still give good things to their children when their children ask. And God, who is our heavenly Father, He is not just like an earthly father. He's like an earthly father, but He's separate, set apart, holy, better. Think about what He would want to do to His children. That's why it's such good news that God chooses to relate to us as a father. Now the other thing that this father analogy helps us to understand is this. God is not just some genie in a bottle. We don't have to figure out some incantation to get him to help us. We don't have to figure out what are the magic words. How many times do I have to say this? In what order do I say this for God to act? Because that's not how it works with fathers. Jesus will also say that. Don't heap up many words because you don't need to. Because your Father wants to give you good things. So if we ask plainly, and as we'll see in Psalm 126, based upon the character of God, which has been proven time and time again by the acts that He has done for His children, if we pray plainly in that way, we will see requests granted by God on our behalf. That's a great promise of Scripture. Just as the Father of Israel, He is also our Father. And He told Jeremiah that He would give this gift to the people of Israel after they'd been sent into captivity, and He gives them that gift. So, now let's look at Psalm 126. With that in mind, that first truth about making requests known to your Father, let's read this psalm together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. These first three verses in this psalm will tell us something important about how and what to ask for from God. And it's actually recounting something that God has already done, a request that He has already fulfilled. It'll help us as we go forward making requests of God to know how to make those requests. So the first thing I want you to look at is the word Lord. I talked about this last week. All uppercase Lord. This is actually a reference to the personal name of God, Yahweh. And a long time ago, the people of Israel did not want to take the Lord's name, use the Lord's name without reverence, and so they used a different word, in substitute. And so then the English translators came along and translated that substitutionary word in the same way to show the reverence that the people of Israel had, and so that's why we see Lord. But it would actually say in the Hebrew, When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. It's the important thing to remember when you're making a request to God, you're speaking person to person. It's a personal request between you and the personal Father. Now Zion here is the city of Jerusalem, and the historical background for this that's helpful to understand is that the people 
of Israel had been rebellious against God and and so he removed his protective hand from them and allowed them to be conquered and they were taken away to Babylon and they were in captivity. They were strangers in a foreign land. And then after several decades, God brought them back to Zion. And this is what they're referring to. They're looking back at this historical event where God brought them back. He restored their fortunes, brought them back into the land that he always wanted to give to them. Now, this next line is super interesting. It says, when he did this, when he brought us back from captivity, it was like we were dreaming. We were like those who had just woken up from a dream and realized it was a reality. Wait, wait, pinch me. This can't be happening. We've got the land again. This can't be real. In dreams, we do things, right, that we can't do naturally. Maybe you can fly in your dreams. Maybe you can swim underwater. For me, my recurring dream, since you're all wondering, is that I can jump. Unlike most white men, I can jump. But some dreams, I jump and then I just keep going. And I'll jump like hundreds of feet in the air. It's like a jump fly, but I always come down. It's not truly flying, so I call it a jump fly. So I'll jump in the air, and then I'm kind of like, I can't believe I'm still going up. I've had this dream over and over and over again. Don't know what it means. But I can tell you the feeling that I have in that moment in the dream. It's one of exhilaration, and it's one of fear. And I think that's oftentimes what it feels like when God grants us a request. Now, we're talking about a request that only he can grant. And this is what the psalmist is saying. It felt like when we came back to Jerusalem, we thought, there's no way this could happen. It's like a dream. And you know what? We're almost a little out of control. We've got this mix of exhilaration and and, and fear. And it's like we just burst out laughing. (laughs) Have you had this experience? Where, where you're so almost out of control but experiencing a great joy and you just start laughing uncontrollably. And you're laughing and you're shouting with joy. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying here. They were so caught off guard by the wondrous works of God, bringing them back to the land, that it was like they were like those that dreamed. Then their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongues with shouts of joy. Their mouths were filled, meaning... They were overflowing. They couldn't keep it in. It just had to come out. I remember something similar to this. At both of my sister's weddings, I was standing, I was as a a groomsman in each of them. You know, they didn't really want me to be in it, but they had to because they knew they were going to spend their whole life with me. But I got to stand up there. And I remember, I love my sisters very much, and I remember smiling so big that I couldn't control it. And I remember people telling me afterwards that I kind of looked funny up there, like, why didn't you stop smiling? And I remember in the moment knowing that they were all thinking that, but I could not get it off of my face. It was stuck. Have you had that experience? Where a smile stuck on your face. Same thing happened uh, the night I met Allie. Met her for coffee, came home, and I usually would, would keep 
uh, relationships from my family for a month just to make sure that you know it was worth telling them about. The night I met Allie, I came home and I was grinning ear to ear, and I and I wanted to stop because I. I liked my original plan of keeping things for my family, but I couldn't. I just smiled. What are you smiling about? Stop smiling. This is awkward. And I couldn't. And so I eventually just had to tell them why I was smiling. This is what he's talking about here. God will do things for us. And when he does it, we're so surprised that we just can't help but overflow with laughter and shouts of joy. Can't wipe the smile off of our face. It's like waking up from a dream and finding out it's now the new reality. This can happen to you because God can accomplish unnatural things. But you've got to ask him. So here's the first qualification for asking of God. You need to ask God for that which only he can make a reality. Which is to say we need to ask as dreamers. The second thing, second qualification related to that is this. We need to ask God for things that when he gives them to us will make us out of control with joy and excitement. I don't know how often we're asking God these sorts of big requests. Maybe only we ask him things that we could probably accomplish on our own because we're too scared to ask for those really big things. Now let me show you something really interesting about the way this passage is set up. This is poetry, and what you see in these first three verses is this. It's an A-B-B-A structure, okay? So it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And actually, a better translation of this is, we became like dreamers. Then we have two thens. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, shouts of joy. Then the nations said about us, the Lord has done great things for them. And then it's the second A. The Lord has done great things for us. And again, if you're reading in the ESV, it's a a poor translation. It says we are glad. It's actually the exact same verb in the exact same form that was used for we became like dreamers. And it says we became rejoicers. So true rejoicing is actually the same as those who were like dreamers who woke up and realized it's now true. It's this overflow. So often rejoicing is something that we work up. But if we understand rejoicing, it's just the overflow of seeing what God has already done. Rejoicing is like being dreamers who find out their dreams have come true. So one of our problems is that we are asking for the wrong things. The wrong types of things. C.S. Lewis says it this way in The Weight of Glory. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. You see, life with God is meant to bring us solid joy, not just fleeting, empty excitement. But if you're anything like me, my requests tend to, be, tend to sound a lot more like mud pies 
I want a shot of excitement, a shot of adrenaline, a shot of pleasure, and I'm missing out on the greatness that God wants for me. So what are these better joys? What are these solid joys? How do we know if we're asking rightly? How do we figure out when something pops into our mind to ask for, is there any filter that we can put it through to make sure that we're asking in the way we should? I want you to look at verse 1 again. It says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And you'll see that word restored used again in verse 4. What does restore mean? It means to bring back. To bring back to how it once was. Back to the way it should be. Here's one of the filters you can put your requests through. Am I asking God for something that is restoring His design in my life, His design in this world, His design for salvation and redemption? Is my request a design realignment? It's a great filter to put all things through. Ask for those things. Think about if what you're at, and that could be so many things, but is it helping to bring about a realignment of God's original design? Verse 2 shows us another thing that we can filter our requests through. It says this, it says, when God did this, when God restored Israel, this podunk little nation, when He brought them out of the belly of the beasts, Babylon, and gave them back their land, gave them back Jerusalem, and they just were filled with laughter and joy and were partying and were loud and people started, what's going on here? Who's their God again? Look what it says. It says the Lord, now remember how this, Yahweh has done great things for them. This is what the people were saying. Because they hear the neighbor down the street screaming for joy, laughing. What happened down there? How'd they get back into their house? Yahweh did it. See how powerful that is? They know his name now. They know the personal name of Yahweh. They don't say their God did it for them. They say Yahweh did it for them. God is meant to be glorified. The personal God of the universe. Yahweh is meant to be glorified. And so when He grants our requests, He does that in part to bring Himself glory so that the nations might know that He is the one true God. I was at a wedding officiated this wedding, suffering for the Lord in Hawaii. Pray for me. Still getting over it. And it was an amazing wedding. I don't even think Dave and Leslie are here tonight. Well, you send him a text. Let him know I talked about him. But their wedding was on this beach, on, 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 a, on a friend's, a neighbor's property that was on the beach, and it was a great party. And it was loud and raucous and there was laughter and shouts of joy. Love was in the air. And Allie and I were, were down on the beach and we kind of removed ourselves a little bit. Um, and we were just looking back at this. It was just lit up, this whole backyard. And it was dark everywhere else. And, and the music was going. And we just sat back and we were like, wow, that's quite a party. And we look down the beach, maybe like half a mile down the beach, and we see what looks to be people holding torches walking towards the beach. And we're like, 
what's going on? This is just how our marriage goes. Allie was a little frightened. <laughs> She's like, Lord of the Flies situation. She's a little worried. And I'm like, no, they probably just see this amazing party and they're, they want to come get a closer look. They hear all this laughing and all these shouts of joy and all this light and all the dancing and they just want to come see what's going on here. There's something worth seeing. It's one of the reasons God grants our requests, fulfills them, so that we might overflow with laughter and joy and that people might come and see what the Lord has done, what Yahweh has done, what our personal Father God has done for his people. So you can ask yourself, is my request, if granted, going to bring glory to the Father? Or is it only going to bring glory to me? It's a good filter as you're asking for things from God. So when we ask, is our request in line with God's design, his will for our life, and his plan for all things? Will my request, if given to me, bring glory to his name? and draw people to Him? Is my request, am I asking as one who is dreaming, knowing only God can grant us, grant me my request? Or am I asking for those things that I could get in my own strength, in my own skill? It's one of the ways to help us ask of God. Now let me just say this. This is important. It's not the size of the request alone. So, so it's okay, you'll see this actually in the second half of the psalm. The next thing that they ask for is that they would have enough wheat that they might make bread. And Jesus, of course, says, ask God for your daily bread. So asking for your daily bread is not asking too little. But when we ask, are we asking with the ultimate recognition that God is the giver of all bread? That can be hard to do in a very self-sufficient culture like ours. So again, I'm not saying you're only allowed to ask for things that are large in size. But even in the little things like our daily bread, are we asking knowing that only God brings the rain that brings the crop that brings the bread to my table? A little bit harder for us to do that in this day and age where we could just go to the grocery store at any moment, but we have to work for that as we learn to make requests to God. So God wants to give us good gifts, and actually He wants more for us than we even want for ourselves. He wants to give us more than we even know what to ask for. So, so we need to, to, to dig, dig around, honestly assess our hearts, our motives, and the ends of our petitions to God. And we seek to ask for the right things, and then we pray that even when we ask for the wrong things, that God won't give us what we ask for, or that we wouldn't get what we ask for with our own strength. It's an interesting prayer, right? God, these are the things I want, but if I'm asking wrongly, please don't give them to me, and please shut all the doors that I might get it myself. That'd be a great prayer to pray. So these first three verses are remembering a time when Israel did this. When they cried out to God and they asked Him to restore their fortunes and He responded, brought them back into the land, they're remembering the past so that in the present they can make a new request, which is verses 4-6. to six. So, 
4 to 6 is the new request, and look at what they say. Restore our fortunes, Yahweh. Just like you did before. Like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I want you to picture here a farmer headed out into the field with a bag of seeds, scattering seeds. And as he casts the seeds, he's actually weeping. It's okay to weep while you wait. It's very important to understand that it's okay to weep while you wait. And we talked about this several weeks ago. These tears are tears of lament and they're tears of anticipation. Not tears of despair. It's an important distinction. We are not weeping because we do not believe it will ever happen. We're weeping because it hasn't yet happened yet, but we know it's a good thing and we're anticipating it coming. But it's not wrong to weep as we cast the seed. And notice what he does. Verse 5 and 6, he repeats himself. Twice he says, he who sows in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who sows in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Why does he repeat himself? I think he's saying we go through this pattern over and over and over again. We don't just go scatter our seed, scatter our requests just once. We do it again and again and again. We just keep asking God. We just keep requesting, petitioning the Lord again and again. What we find if we do this is that we sow in tears, the psalm says. That actually our tears are the first waters that land upon the seed and can become the first fruits of joy. It comes from the tears. And I think it's so interesting when you just stop and consider how similar tears of joy are and tears of sorrow. Have you noticed that? It's almost the exact same feeling. At least in my life, it's been the same. It feels the same as it's coming on, It's really uncontrollable. They're so similar. And I think that's by design. Because the life of God, the life of faith, the life of God's people is a life of both tears of joy and tears of sorrow. And they both overflow into this life and relationship with the Father. And so if we're asking for the right kinds of things and we're doing it in the way God asks, which is through tears of waiting, He will turn those into tears of joy. In His timing, in His way, and we trust Him. And we don't know how many times we have to go back out into that field and scatter our seed. But we just keep doing it because we know what He's already done, what He's capable of, that He can make us be like dreamers who awake to a new reality. Now the final question that I think this psalm teaches us, and I think it teaches us in a tangential way about requesting from the Lord, is I think it tells us something about when to ask. I mentioned this at the beginning. Do we only ask for things from God when we are at the bottom of the barrel? When things are at their worst? When it's been a very long time since we've been blessed? Or is it okay 
to ask of God right after he's fulfilled. Have you ever wondered this? I know I have. Is there a time to stop asking because God has already given me so much? The answer is no. You never stop asking for more. God has restored them to the land. They have Jerusalem back. He's made them like dreamers. And now they're in the land and they're having trouble with their crops and they're asking God to bring back more fortunes. Just keep asking Him to restore. Keep asking for Him to bless us in new ways. As long as, and here's the caveat, as long as with the last blessing that He gave us, we overflowed with joy. We brought glory to God's name. We used the blessing to restore our design. And we brought a little bit of the kingdom with us. And that our heart in asking for the next thing is the same. If that's true, you just keep asking God. Now, of course, this will change what you ask for. And I'll just add one more thing, one more criteria for how we ask and how we should know if we should keep asking. And it's this. With my last blessing, with my last request fulfilled, did I use that blessing to be a blessing to someone else? This is the Abrahamic principle. God tells Abraham, I am going to be your God and I'm going to be the God of all your offspring and I'm going to bless you greatly so that you can be a blessing to all the nations around you. This is the charge he gave to Abraham. This is the charge he gives to us. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Now, if you do not use your blessing to be a blessing, you should probably figure out how to use the last blessing before you start asking for more blessing. And so when he says, make us like the streams of the Negev, the streams would fill with winter rain and they would overflow. Not just in one little spot for the Israelites, but it would overflow for all the people that were close to that river. So are we asking for things that aren't just a blessing for us, but that we know either through us or because of the fulfillment of this blessing that it would bless those around us as well? This is the overflowing abundance that God wants to respond with when he responds to our requests. Now, some of us might feel like we need to stop asking for God because he's just blessed us so much. I felt this way in my life. Maybe, maybe I need to ask, and I have in the past, asked for hardship because I've been blessed so much. Why do I do that? Why do you maybe do that? Well, maybe you're thinking, am I just being greedy by asking God for more? Or maybe you're feeling what I call the blessedness guilt. And we usually have this thought because we are using our blessings only for ourselves. And I don't think we need or we should have blessedness guilt. Because every time we feel that sort of guilt, we're actually thinking wrong thoughts about God. We're actually lying about God in our own head or maybe implicitly to those around us by not asking. And here's the lie that we're telling ourselves 
the false belief that we have about God. It's actually threefold. We're saying he is limited. He has a cap. We're saying the pie is fixed and that God is just a manager of this thing he's already created. He can't do anything new. He can only manage that which he has already created. Each of those is a lie. God is not limited. The pie is not fixed. He is not a manager. He is the creator. He can make more and more and more. And by blessing you, that doesn't mean he can't bless somebody else. That's why we shouldn't feel blessedness guilt as long as we're using our blessings to bless others, as long as we're asking for the right kinds of things. And so we pray, we thank God that he's given us the land back, and then we ask him to make the land profitable. Thank you for giving it back to us. Now, make it profitable. Let us feed our families. Let us live and enjoy this good creation that you've given to us. The story of a man in the Bible who brings his son to Jesus and he says, heal my son. And, and Jesus says, if you believe, anything can be done. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's a great prayer. If you've been given the gift of faith, you say, thank you God for faith. Give me more. I want more faith. Grow my faith. Build my faith. I want more. We need to be, in a sense, greedy for the gift of faith. God, give me more faith. That's a great prayer to pray. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Give me more. Maybe you've got a prayer like this in your life where God has blessed you in an area and you want more blessing. You feel like it aligns with the design of God. You feel like you're going to use that blessing to bless others. Go ahead and pray it. I think it's important to remember that God doesn't satisfy easily, and neither should we. God wanted more than just good, nice worshipers. He wanted a real relationship, so he didn't stop. He didn't stop with good religious people. He said, I want something more than that. That's why he sent his son. He didn't just send his son to have a physical relationship. He said, there's this problem called sin. I want more, he said. So he sent his son to the cross to die. And he said, I don't just want forgiveness of sin. I want new resurrected life. So God wanted more. So he sent the Spirit to raise Jesus from the grave. So we need to be like God. We need to not settle for the small things of life, but we need to dream God-sized dreams, God-inspired dreams for good things, things that He wants for us. We need to ask Him for it. We need to keep asking Him for it. And He will, if it's within His will and His plan for our lives and for all of creation, He will grant us those requests. And when they're granted, we need to break out in spontaneous party. You see, most, most people think about Christianity as a set of rules, about reducing life down, discipline. Now, it's all important stuff, but really when you read the Bible and you understand what God's after, He's after a spontaneous dance party. Hit that music, Kurt. No, I'm just joking. 
That's the vision God always has in mind for His people. A grand, God-glorifying party filled with out-of-control laughter and shouts of joy. Just read the Bible, and again and again and again, that's what you see. That's what you see in Acts chapter 1. At Pentecost, Jesus says, I have to go that I might send my Spirit, and He sends His Spirit, and everyone thinks that all of those who receive the Spirit are drunk. They're like, you're partying. And they're like, we're not partying, it's 9 a.m. That's always what you see when the Spirit of God works. Partying. Now here's the deal. When we ask God, we dream, what does He want for me? We ask Him and He gives it to us and we can't believe that He's given it to us and we break out and we overflow with laughter and joy and a party breaks out. This party is received in one of two ways depending on what your relationship is to God. And I think it's important to say this, because maybe you're in the room and you would not consider yourself to be one of God's people. And so you might feel this way about this partying. You might look at the way Christians behave, the way they sing and shout for joy and laugh, and you might be very confused. It might actually scare you. This is very, very normal. So, so if you look at Psalm 126, and it says here, that the nation said, Yahweh has done great things for them, this is not necessarily saying that they're really excited about it. It's just that they're recognizing that a party broke out and it's because of this God that they worship. In fact, probably what they're feeling is a little bit more like when another party broke out right after God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and then he helped them to cross the Red Sea, and then the sea caved in on Pharaoh and his army. Another party broke out, and this dude named Moses breaks out into song, and he sings this. Exodus 15, verse 13. Moses breaks out in song, and he sings this. He says to God, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them out of your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. This is the peoples who are not God's peoples, have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people have passed by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, that you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you, with your hands, have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And so you see this party that breaks out. Anytime God moves and he grants requests and he gives his people what they've been asking for, freedom and a land, and it's not always party for everyone else involved. Still glory for God because they fear His name, but it, it's trembling. And as I thought about this this week, I thought, this has been my experience with parties sometimes. When I am not in the inner circle of the party, when I only see the party from afar, this party looks very scary. For those in the party... For the people of God that are experiencing the spontaneous joy of having God work on their behalf, it's like the greatest dream ever. For those who are not a part of the people of God, the enemies of God, this party can seem like a nightmare. 
And so when they view it from far off, it looks a bit like a war dance, doesn't it? It looks a bit like a tribal war rally. There's loud cries. Everybody seems out of control. There's lights, there's fire, there's dancing. This is Dave and Leslie's wedding. It's terrifying. (laughs) I'm sure. That's why they brought torches and pitchforks. They thought they were in for a war. And this would be a fair interpretation if you were not a part of the people of God, if you didn't understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ was all about. What it would look like is a religious war party. And maybe that feels like it for you when you come into church, you see the people of God worshiping. It seems like hostility. It seems like superiority. It seems like exclusivity. It seems like they're so self-sufficient. They don't need anybody else. They're in need of nothing. That That might be what it feels like. Maybe you know people. This, this is what it feels like for them to come to church. This is what it feels like when you hang out with your Christian friends. Just know that. It doesn't feel like a party to them. It feels like a nightmare. And if this is you, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and this is how you felt in the past, I just want to tell you this. I can assure you that it's not that kind of party. Come, come near. Come close. Come, come look at the faces of those who are singing and dancing and laughing. It, it's sheer joy. It's not anger. It's not hostility. It's not superiority. It's not moral high ground. It's sheer joy. When you get close enough to see it, you'll see, oh, they're, they're not against us. What you'll see on the faces of the people of God is that they are dancing and they are singing because a dream has come true for them. Because they've discovered that in the person and the work and the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that mistake that they only dreamed could be forgiven has just been forgiven. It's gone. That relationship with God that they only dreamed could be restored has just been made right through Jesus. That power of sin which seemed to enslave them and hold them down that they only dreamed about could be removed has just died a death on Calvary. And that new life that they dream about that they thought maybe has just become a reality through the resurrection of Jesus. And because of it, there's sheer joy on their faces but you got to come close enough to see it. you got to actually come into the party and realize that it's not a war dance. It's just dancing for joy. I hope if you've always been far off that you stay close and you just hang around long enough to see what true joy looks like, what dreams made reality feel like. Because there is a Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be His name. And He wants to bring His kingdom come right here in your life, just as it is in heaven. He wants to give you good gifts. Would you let him give you good gifts? All you got to do is ask. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to make us more and more like your son Jesus Christ. That you make us into your image. That you give us good gifts that realign us with your original design for our lives and for your plan for the cosmos. 
God, we pray that when you give us these gifts, that we would see them as such, gifts from you, and that we would celebrate, that we would laugh and shout and bring attention to your name, not our own. God, give us the courage and the perseverance to keep asking. Even when the tears of sorrow seem more than the tears of joy, that we trust in what you have already done in your son Jesus, and we know that you want to give us everything that our heart desires rightly, and so that we keep asking, that we keep trusting, that we ask again, and that one day you'll turn those tears of sorrow to tears of joy, whether in this life or in the next. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.